day by day, day by day. Oh dear Lord, these three things I pray, to see Thee more clearly, love Thee more dearly, follow Thee more nearly, day by day. That prayer was in a, a movie, and clearly the people praying in the movie, uh, or pretending to pray, you know, they weren't believers. And this guy sort of awkwardly begins praying as the family calls on this guy to pray. And he sort of doesn't know what to do, and, you know, he's looking around and fumbling over these words as he's making them up, uh, or so it seems. And it made me wonder, what, what do most people think prayer is? Right? If we were to come across Christianity for the very first time, or Christians, and we would see them praying, or let's say praying at the dinner table, you might hear, God is great, and God is good, and we thank Him for our food. By His hand we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. It makes us ask the question, what is prayer? Who is this God we pray to? What exactly has He given us? Do we really think he can continue to give us these things? Is he even personal? After, after all, prayer is, is talking to, uh, to God. Uh, well, this morning's sermon, what I want to do is help look at some of those questions. What is prayer? Why should we pray? And then how ought we to pray? I think there's some general confusion uh, around this topic, so I figured I'd take this Sunday uh, to go ahead and address these things. And if you look in your bulletin on page 2, you'll see a definition that we're going to be using today in terms of what is prayer. This is an abbreviated definition from a historic Protestant catechism. If you all don't know what a catechism is, uh, what used to happen, it still happens today, but not so much. What used to happen is that pastors would go around to families um, and catechize their members. So I would sit down with, with you all and ask you a series of questions and by asking questions and helping you give answers, um, that would help you be instructed in the Bible, and the doctrine of the Word, or the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ. So one of the questions that the pastor would sit down and ask the congregation is, what is prayer? And then we would help work on memorizing this answer. And this is the abbreviated answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ. And we're just going to be walking through that definition before we get to the practical how we are to pray. So the first section there, it is an offering up of our desires unto God. And of course these desires come from the heart, they come from the head, they come from our daily practical experience, and we're offering them up to God. But we shouldn't think that prayer functions like, you know, let's, let's say we are the customer... And we're going to be ringing up God on our touchstone phone, our cell phone, or sending away our, our uh, requests and our orders, only for God then to be like our divine delivery boy to come and give us what we want, give us what we've ordered for today, whatever our, whatever our appetites desire. That's not really how we should be thinking about it. Nor should we be thinking about prayer like God is some uh, grand, divine Santa Claus of the universe who's sort of at our beck and call to entertain us. By giving us the desires, our carnal desires, satisfying you know the very things that we want that's based on off of our emotions or something like that. As Christians, you know we have been born again, 
So our desires are sort of Godward desires. That's, that's what the intention is here. They're Godward desires. And even when they aren't Godward desires, we're bringing our desires to God, saying, look, I acknowledge that these desires are not Godward, so make them Godward by your spirit. So we're offering up sort of Godward desires to God. He gives us the desires or calls us to live in a certain way and we're giving them back to God, giving them back to God. That's why it says there that these things should be agreeable to His will. Right? God is our divine delivery boy when we pray according to our own will. But that's not what it calls. It calls us here to be Offering up our desires for things agreeable to His will. So this is no genie in the bottle type of God here. And our Lord Jesus taught us to pray like this, right? He says, which we already prayed, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Worshipped be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, this is Jesus teaching all of His disciples how to pray. He said, pray that God's will will be done just as it is in heaven, just as He reigns in heaven, so he instructs us to pray that so God's reign would be established here on earth and, and also in our very own hearts. And fundamental to this type of prayer, offering up our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, fundamental to this kind of prayer is that it acknowledges that God is God. That God is over all, that he is sovereign over all things. And so one example here, this is God again telling us, telling his people how we are to pray. Listen to what he says. Psalm 50 verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Okay, what's conveyed about God here? What do we learn about God as God calls us to pray to him? From that verse. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Does he or does he not have the power to deliver us? Is he or is he not going to hear us and be personally involved? Is he actually going to do what he has said? Is he going to be who he is and is he going to do what he has said? Um, prayer is the means of dispatching God's heavenly armies to come to our aid. That's what that verse says, Psalm 15, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of your trouble and I will deliver you. So prayer here is a means of dispatching his heavenly armies. You can imagine calling down the heavenly armies to come to our aid by God's grace. This is us in need going to an all-powerful God who blesses and saves. So really, prayer is all about him, isn't it? We're praying his will. We're praying to our sovereign God so that he might come to our aid so that we might love him. You see the centrality of God in these prayers. Um, Professor Don Carson, he says this. Now pay attention to, to, to who this prayer is about or how he describes prayer. Who, who is it about? We ask our Heavenly Father for things because he has determined that many blessings will come to us only through prayer. Right? His determination Prayer is His ordained means. In other words, He's given it to us. He's told us to do it. Prayer is His ordained means of conveying His blessings to His people. That means we must pray according to His will, in line with His values, in conformity with His own character and purposes, claiming His own promises. 
So you see that he and the him, it's all about him and what God will do. In praying by faith, we submit ourselves to a sovereign God, don't we? I mean, that, that's, that's the very nature of prayer. We're calling out for help. Speaking to the divine being. Call upon me in your day of trouble, and he guarantees I will deliver you. He has the power to deliver. We do not. Here's another quote. Prayer is not simply a seeking of God's blessings. Not simply seeking God's blessings. It is a calling for the presence of His providence caring for us. It's a personal interaction. Calling for His providence caring for us. Of His power upholding us. And of His goodness receiving us. Us who are laden with sin into His favor. It's praying the presence of God so that we would be brought into His favor. That's biblical God-honoring prayer. It submits to God who is sovereign. But not only that, you know, fundamental to praying biblical God-honoring prayer is um, a recognition that this God is personal. Right, the very fact that God calls us to call upon Him indicates that this God is personal, that He actually hears which is why the Exodus passage is so fantastic. The prayers of God, uh, prayers to God, arise up to Him. He hears. He remembers His covenant. He pr- his promises, not in the sense that He forgot them and oh look now they're praying and so hey I remember them. It's like wow He's always steadfast to them, always aware of them, and then He sees with His eyes, and then He moves. He remembers. He moves towards saving His people. You see how personal God is there. Right? There's a reason why he is called God the Father. The Father. Um, some of y'all might be uh, more interested in asking, let's say, philosophical questions. And you might ask a question, well, gosh, what was God doing before the creation of the universe? What was God doing before the creation of the universe? Have you ever wondered that? John 17, 24 actually answers that question. He says, Jesus says that the Father was loving the Son before creation. What, what did He do before He made something? He was loving. This is intra-Trinitarian love, love between the Trinity, which, is, which blows my mind. He was loving the Son before creation. That's our God, called Father, who loves. Okay, so right here, all of us then, we, our, our ears should be perked, our minds should be wondering, our hearts should be yearning. For those of us who have been blessed with wonderful fathers, anybody here who has, who has a father who has done anything good at all, we know something of that divine love. Something. And then those of us who might have experienced growing up without a father, or let's say with a father who failed us, we know very much so what it might look like to long for the perfect father. The father who from the beginning of the universe was loving, giving himself to love. That is our God. And there's so much there that tells us about our father from the scripture. So you can take uh, the parable of the prodigal son. This is the, the, the story where the son insists he take his inheritance. And he wants to blaze his own trail of autonomy and independence and make it on his own. So he gets his money, he takes off, and then it's just a matter of time before he reaches his low point where he is in a pig pen living and eating with the very animals he feeds. 
he basically works for. So he's lost all his money, this, this kid is rejected, discouraged, and he says, according to the scripture, he says, I have sinned. And this guy returns home to his father to confess his sins. And this is Jesus telling this parable. Listen to this. And keep in mind that this, these words are the words of Jesus, who knew the Father's love from the beginning of time, right? Before anything was created, he knew perfectly what, this, what the love of this Father was like. Intra-Trinitarian love. And he uses these words to tell us about his Father. While the Son was still a long way off. So you can imagine the Father is looking... You know, can, you, can I make out the shape of my son? That's how my son runs. While the son was, a, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You feel all those ands there? It's like Jesus is going on about the love of this perfect father, compassionate, the father felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is Jesus who knew the Father's love before time and he wants us to know this love of the Father. And it's that Father that calls us to run to him too through Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, um, pray, ask, seek, and knock. You guys remember that from Matthew 7. Pray, ask, seek, and knock. The door will be open. But then he goes, when you pray, I want you to pray with confidence and boldness because, the question is, why? It's because God excels at caring. He excels. And so Jesus then says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Right? Who in the world would do that? He goes on to say, to evil people, mind you, uh, he says, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, he's talking to the evil people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, perfection in all of His attributes, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask of Him? Right? We, evil people know how to give good gifts. When, sometimes when the children ask them, here the Father gives always, perfectly, to those who ask. And so Jesus calls people. He says, come to me. I'm personal. Not only is this God sovereign, but he's personal. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another one, right? If we feel load, weighted down by guilt. He says in, in 1 John 1, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is our God, sovereign and personal God, who has opened the door, the door to His house, so that we might come in and draw on Him. Uh, you can think of it like the highway of prayer is the highway that leads us to God, our faithful Father. And we can have confidence, right? Our, our prayers are to be based on His promises, who He is, he will actually be who he says, and he will actually do what he has promised. One author said, Our praying is a testimony that we look hopefully to God for the grace he has promised. 
Our praying is a testimony that we look hopefully to God for the grace He has promised. That's our God, always faithful, always good, always gracious. And because He is who He is and does what He says, we therefore can have confidence. So our prayers can rest on His promises that He will be with us in our time of need. That He will in fact deliver. And so our prayers are sort of coupled with confidence Resting on the certainty, one author says, the certainty of God's love for us. Right? If we know that at the end of this highway always stands a father who's going to open his door, this compassionate, gracious father who runs and meets us, would we not get on this highway and go and again and again and again and again? Of course, the certainty of the love of God is clearly uh, given to us in Jesus. This is why the definition, if you go back to the definition, states that prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ. Christ is the object of our faith. And it is, after all, Christ who makes prayer even possible. Without Christ, prayer would not be possible. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, which was our call to worship, uh, makes this clear. It states that Jesus is a priest forever, as opposed to the Old Testament priests who died or who offered sacrifices year after year, and then eventually they died. Jesus, on the other hand, because he is the great high priest, raised from the dead, who offered his own blood, and because he lives forever, he therefore has a permanent priesthood, the scripture says. Therefore, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always leaves, lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for us. So the priests would bear the names of the people. And so here Jesus Christ is going to God, the tabernacle that is in heaven, bearing our names before the Father. Bearing Tyler's name. Brent's name. To the Father, his requests. That is absolutely incredible. And because he wins for us free and full forgiveness, because he was the final sacrifice for the sins of his people, Hebrews 4 says, Let us then, given all these things, given who Jesus Christ is, sent of God, God himself, God the Son, to die on the cross for sins, for all those who would ever repent and believe. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Right? That means I can go to God on my own. That means I don't need another person. I don't need another human bringing my prayers to God because I have Jesus, the great high priest. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So here prayer, we fly to Christ, right? We're flying to Christ with our desires. And in so doing, we actually find salvation for those who repent and believe. There is, after all, no other name by which we can be saved. So now we see, actually, that prayer is very Christ-centric, Christ-centered. It's Christ that lives to intercede for us. He is our great high priest who brings our prayers to the Father. And so we pray in the name of Christ. And there, in Christ, we get everything we need for the Christian life. 
Does that make sense? We get everything we need, according to the will of God, in Jesus Christ. So in Christ, another author, uh, author says, God offers us happiness in place of our misery. All wealth in Christ, okay, not physical wealth, all wealth in Christ in place of our neediness. In Christ, God opens to us. So here he's opening. You can hear the door creaking and we see, we're just waiting to peer in what is in the heavenly places. In Christ, God opens to us the heavenly treasures that our whole faith may contemplate the beloved Son. Imagine that. You hear this, this secret tomb of treasures opening. The big stone door being rolled away and you just see unfathomable riches in His Son. And our faith lays hold of these things. It longs to see them. He is everything to us. And so our whole expectation, right, our anticipation, our expectation depends on him. Our whole hope cleaves to him, hangs on to him, and rests in him. And this, of course, requires faith, right? If we don't actually believe that God is who he is and that he's going to do what he says. And what good is looking at this treasure chest that is Christ? But through faith, God instructs us. Helping us to recognize that whatever we need and whatever we lack is found in Christ. And he teaches us by faith. I love this imagery this author uses. So that we may all draw from Christ as the overflowing spring. You know, the spring that comes after the deadly winter. And now the overflowing river comes and blossoms everything. And we come and drink from him. The author concludes, if these things are true... If they are true, which of course we know they are true, it remains for us, it remains for you to seek Him and in prayers to ask of Him what we have learned to be in Him. It remains for us to seek in Him and in prayers to ask of Him what we have learned to be in Him. Faith or prayer is proof of our faith. So to summarize, what is prayer? It is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ. Okay, we move on to the next question. Why pray? Well, through prayer, as, as hopefully this, this, what I said conveyed to you already, through prayer we daily receive God's benefits. Okay, so prayer is God's means. So He determined that we should do this. It's His means of bestowing His grace upon us. His presence, His satisfaction, His character, His love, His strength, His hope. Through prayer, by faith, in Christ, and in the power of the Spirit, we lay hold of God's grace. Through prayer, talking to our Father. And He guarantees that He will be any number of things for us. Okay, so in your mind, what does God promise to be for you? Has He really promised to be present? We come to lay hold of His presence in prayer. Um, one author says, it is through prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up for us with the Heavenly Father. And he goes on to say that, that prayer is, you know, the, the, the heavenly treasures are up there. He says, prayer is like the shovel that God gives us with which we are to dig to get those heavenly treasures. Okay, now again, we're not talking about physical treasure. We're not talking about physical wealth. This isn't name it and claim it. This is Christ who is our everything. Our riches when we are needy. 
And so we use that shovel, our appointed means to go to God. He has given us this shovel. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ. And through it, we receive God's benefits. Okay, so now, we've, now that we've briefly looked at the what and the why of prayer, now we turn and focus our time on the how. So here, I want to talk about revitalizing your prayer life through praying the Scriptures. Revitalizing your prayer life through praying the Scriptures. Now, some of us, if you are anything like me, we find prayer to be challenging, right? For any number of reasons. One of them is, let's say, mental drift. So even this week, I was praying with Melanie... Uh, our pattern is, you know, we would get together and we're doing our devotions and then at around 7.50 we pray a psalm together. We have a psalm of the day and, uh, and then we talk through our days and figure out how to pray for one another, pray for the kids, etc. And what we were doing after we had read the psalm, you know, I prayed for Melanie and then Melanie prayed for me and so quickly after Melanie began, no offense to my wife, uh, my mind was just going everywhere. Has, has this ever happened to you guys? You know, we come to God, our... Glorious Father in heaven, holy art thy name, thou name, whatever the pronoun would be. Uh, where did I leave my keys? Oh, what is that to-do list that I forgot to do? i got to do it now. Open up the computer. Has this ever happened to you guys? If you're anything like myself or anything like all other Christians, I think we do find challenges to our prayers. Or something like this. We just don't know what to pray for. We're on our knees in the morning, we clasp our hands together, and we come before God's presence, and we pray for ourselves, and it takes about a minute. And then we're done. So, so then we come to, to Scripture, like when Paul says, devote ourselves to prayer, and we think, like, okay, like, do I just continue to devote myself to prayer one minute a day? Like, what exactly does that look like? Or when he says, pray without ceasing, I just pray for myself in a minute, I'm done. What does it mean to, be pray, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? If that is you, I think Scripture has great news for us. Great news for us that I hope revitalizes your spiritual prayer life. Uh, I have an example for you. His name is George Mueller. This guy was an English Christian evangelist. He's really well known for setting up these orphanages. I think it was something like um, he served over 10,000 orphans. He also set up schools. And he served, served like 130,000 students uh, to the schools that he set up. And he was known for praying um, that God would answer his prayers, namely for uh, the setting up of these institutions and the delivering, giving him the money to do it. He was known for praying. This is what he said, okay? Keep in mind, this is a guy who's known for praying, and he too struggles with prayer. He says, often after having suffered much from wandering of mind, so I can agree with Mueller, for the first ten minutes or quarter of an hour, or even half an hour, I only then began to pray. Well, why is it? Is like the 31st minute better than the 30th minute inherently? John Piper asked the question, how did he go from a prayer quadriplegic, as somebody who's paralyzed in all four limbs, into a man whose prayers soared into heaven to bring down heavenly aid? And this is what Mueller said. He's long dead now. I began to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning, searching into every verse for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found almost invariably is this, that after a very few minutes, 
My soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned out almost immediately more or less into prayer. He's praying the scriptures. He goes on. When thus I have been for a while making confession or intercession or supplication or have given thanks, I go on to the next words or verse, turning all, so you can imagine, turning them all, you know, these verses for food, as I go on into prayer for myself or others, as the word may lead to it. He is praying the scriptures. He's turning them over. And this is a practice here that I think will revitalize our prayer life. It'll help us sort of drink from the overflowing spring that is Christ receiving the heavenly benefits. Okay, so what exactly is praying through the scripture? Uh, nothing complicated here. Everybody can do it. You don't have to be George Mueller, the evangelist, or a pastor. Um, someone has defined it as this. What is it? It is to read or recite the word and turn it into prayer as you go. Simple definition. To read or recite the word and turn it into prayer as you go. Or an even more basic definition. Praying God's words back to him. Praying God's words back to him. It's simply grounding our prayers in God's word. As opposed to things that come just simply shoot out of our mind. And so I think praying the word here makes this verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, it makes that really tangible. How is it that this word can be a light to our path, even in our prayer life? It's by praying the word. And we see examples in scripture um, about people who receive God's revelation and then they pray it back to God immediately almost. They receive God's revelation and then they pray it back to God. Okay, so turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 17. You can look in your uh, table of contents if you don't know where it is. It's in the Old Testament. 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. We're in 1 and 2, oh, sorry, 1 Chronicles 17. Now in this passage, as you guys flip there, I'll give you background. David here, he says, gosh, God... We live in houses, yet you, your, your Ark of the Covenant, you do not live in a house. Therefore, you know what? I'm going to build you a house. God then replies and says, no, you know what's going to happen. He says, I don't even need a house. I was the tabernacle, the tent. Um, I bait, my presence is kind of everywhere. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you a house. And then he goes on, uh, look at verse 11. This is God talking to David. When your days are fulfilled... To walk with your fathers, that is, die. I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, most immediately, this is Solomon. Uh, but if you're looking at two mountains from afar, they might look right next to each other. And as you get closer to, let's say, the Solomon mountain, you begin to realize, oh, that's really Jesus. That's the bigger mountain that I thought I saw was together. So it's first Solomon and then Christ. He says, I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will, not, I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from him who was before you, that is Saul. But I will confirm him in my house, and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with his vision, Nathan spoke to David. Okay, here, so we're just setting the background. God here is revealing his will to David. Nathan the prophet goes to David and tells him, this is what God said. One will come from you, 
and his throne will be forever. And then David turns then to pray those very same things. Um, look at First Chronicles 17, verse 23. Okay, and we're just going to pick up this prayer. This is David now praying. He says, And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. Now, is there any question that God is really going to not do what he's spoken? The answer is yes, God's always going to do what he speaks. That's who he is. So he prays, let what you have said come true. And then 24, and your name will be established and magnified forever. Because he knows it's going to happen. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. So here he's praising God, he's asking God that he would do what he said. Look at verse 25. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant, that is his revelation, his revealed word, to us is scripture. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, now pay attention guys, therefore your servant has found courage to pray before you. Why does he have courage to pray? It's because God has revealed these things to him already. And so he comes to God confident, praying that God would do what he said he would do. And he prays. He's basically, as we understand it today, praying God's words back to him. Uh, we've got another example for you. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Okay, as you turn there, some brief background. God has punished Israel because of their sinfulness. God cast them out of their land and into exile to be ruled by another country. Right? That's bad. If God the king is not their king, bad news. And God said that that is exactly what he would do. In his word. So he told them through the prophet Jeremiah. He told them that they would be in exile for 70 years. Okay. God's going to do this. This is what he's promised. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. Sorry. Daniel chapter 9. And pay attention here to what Daniel's doing. This is what it says. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus... By descent, Amid, who was a king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So there he's just setting background, letting us who's ruling. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. He's perceiving in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet. So he's reading Jeremiah. He's perceiving in the books of Jeremiah the prophet. He's saying that this must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then look what he does, right? He sees it. It's in Jeremiah. God says 70 years. Verse 3, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And he confesses that Israel is a sinful people. And then he prays that God would deliver them even though he knows that God is going to deliver them. That's courage to pray. So you see how these, these things are fueling him. Um, one brief New Testament example. 
uh, Paul in Thessalonians, he prays for the sanctification of the Thessalonians. He says to them, you know, uh, don't be sexually immoral. Love your brothers. Be diligent when you're working. And then at the end of Thessalonians, he says, I pray that God would sanctify you through and through. Whereas before he says, this is God's will, your sanctification. This is what it looks like. Don't sleep around. Do these other things. And then he prays, may God do those very things that are his will, that is his will. So that's a good New Testament example. And that comes from 1 Thessalonians. So it's awesome that, that through praying scripture, our wills can be aligned to God's will. Our wills can be aligned to God's will. Here's his illustration. Prayer is a surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. By divine aid, of course. If I throw out a boat hook, which I've never been on a, a, a sail before, but I presume it's something like an anchor. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me? Or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. That's praying God's word, his revealed will. We pray for ourselves, for our friends, and our wills are aligned to his will. Um, and then we begin to see, you know, how often do the prayer meetings sort of uh, sink in some level to, you know, please pray for my father's second cousin who stubbed their toe. You know, they're really struggling right now. But it never reaches sort of above this earthly level. That's a good thing to pray for, but it never really reaches above the physical or the temporal. Now, when we begin to understand God's will, we begin to see the physical in light of the spiritual or the temporal in light of the eternal. And then we begin to pray things like, Lord Jesus, we pray for Vinny's toe. We pray, Lord, that even though he's so discouraged, you would heal him. And in his discouragement, he might be able to, to long for this new body that Christ is working for him even now. And that he might be reminded, let's say, of how temporal this world is. But Lord, we do pray that you would heal him. That's why we pray for people to get healed with cancer and things like that. But we begin to see the physical in light of the spiritual, the temporal in light of the eternal. Okay, for the last, uh, let's say, 10 minutes, we're going to finish off on how do I do it? How do I pray through Scripture? First, you've got to find a text. First, you've got to find a text. And the goal is basically, eventually, use any portion of text. For beginners, um, great text would be, let's say, the Lord's Prayer, which is printed in your bulletin. Other prayers, let's say, prayers of Paul would be fantastic. The Psalms, fantastic. And that's where we're going to draw our example today. So turn in your Bible to Psalm 119, verse 33. Psalm 119, verse 33. And we want to begin sort of reading and meditating over the verse. And as you turn there, you know, we want to be thinking about how can we let David's concerns be our concerns? How can David's concerns become our concerns? Right, so this psalm is not preserved just so we might look afar on David's spirituality, but... How, uh, but this psalm is preserved so that we might also benefit from it and pray his own prayers. It says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Okay, so using verse 33, let's look at a few questions to help us 
meditate and pray through this text. And to do this, we're going to use something called uh, the ACTS prayer. I'm sure you guys have heard about it. A-C-T-S. It's an acronym. A-C-T-S. So if you guys are taking notes, you want to write this down. A, and then underneath it you can write C, and then T, and then S. A stands for adoration, that is praise. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And then S stands for supplication or humble asking or pleading. Okay, so under the A, write adoration, adoration, which is praise. The question you want to ask yourself, the question you want to write down is what can I praise God for from the text? Okay, so look in your Bibles and look for something that you can praise God for in the text. No need to shout it out, just think about them, list them if you want to. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. You know, the first thing that comes to mind here, I can praise God because he's a great teacher. The great teacher. So my prayer to God, I praise you, Father. I praise you, Father, for being my all-wise teacher. You have knowledge above all else. You have information above all else. I praise you, Father, because you are all-wise. I'm not the teacher. So right there, okay, we already have a couple things to praise God for from that one verse. From really the first word of that verse. Okay, so that's adoration. You can sit there and list a number of things. Okay, then you move on in your devotions to see confession. The question you want to ask here, is there anything I need to confess given the text? Is there anything that God is calling me to confess? The psalmist expresses his desires. So gosh, you know, the the psalmist is praying that God would teach him. So man, when was the last time that I prayed that God would teach me his statutes, even as I'm opening the word every morning? Have you ever prayed that God would teach me your statutes? And then, gosh, you know what? Maybe I don't even value the statutes of God enough. So I might pray, I confess, Father. I confess that I am not teachable. I confess that I am proud. I confess that I don't come to you enough asking you to teach me. I confess that I don't value and love your statutes as I ought. Right? So right there, we already have a number of things that we can confess. Um, So... It's a lot of stuff to meditate on. And then we move to Thanksgiving. What can I thank God for from the text? Or in general from the passage? The psalmist goes to God expecting an answer, doesn't he? It's not like he thinks that God will not teach him. So here God makes himself available to teach, to answer, to help. That's who God is. So we can pray. Thank you, God, that while you are so high, so glorious, you come to our aid. Thank you, God, for being willing to teach. Thank you for teaching through your revelation. Thank you for allowing me to come to you so that you might teach me. To sort of adopt me as your pupil and as your servant. He wants to teach. We can thank him for these things. And then we can turn to supplication or humble askings. Here the question is, what does God want us to ask of him? Or, how does this passage uh, call us to change and how do we ask God to help us change? What does God want to give me? Well, here he wants me to ask him to teach me his word. He wants us to keep it to the end, right? Because that's what the psalmist says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Gosh, you know what? Help me, God. Teach me, O God, your word, because without you I am hopeless. Enlighten the eyes of my heart and help me keep it to the end for your namesake. And then you know what? We just confessed. So we can ask God to forgive us those sins because we know he's going to if we're believers. 
born again, uh, we can ask, you know, Lord Jesus, forgive me for being unteachable. Forgive me for being proud and teach me. So you see right there, there's lots of food for your devotion. Um, And do what George Mueller says here. He says when he finishes one verse, he moves on to the next. I go on to the next words or verse, turning all as I go on into prayer for myself or others as the word may lead to it. So you look to the next verse, 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Gosh, you know what? Lord Jesus, I got a lot to confess. I got a lot. There's a lot of reasons to praise you. I can praise you again because you are the Lord and you've revealed your will. I can confess that, gosh, you know, my heart longs for other things and not your law. And then we can go on Thanksgiving and then uh, asking God. So that's just a really brief time of what it looks like to pray through the scriptures. If you want, um, you know, you might be asking the question, well, what should I pray every day? Uh, There are Psalms of the day that me and Melanie use. So today is June 2, right? So so Psalm 2 would be a, a Psalm of the day. And then you can add 30 to that, and it's what? 30 plus 2 is what? 32. So 32 is also a psalm of the day. 32 plus 30 is what? 62. So 62 is a psalm of the day, and then 62 plus 30. And then 92 plus 30, 122. So right there you have you know, five psalms of the day that you could choose from. And uh, you don't even necessarily need to pray through the whole thing. You just pray through a couple lines or something like that. Um, so try that. I challenge you this, this week to pray through the Psalms of the day. Just pick one Psalm, even a couple verses at that, and pray through it. And then you can be praying for your fellow church members, your family members, your children. I can pray for my kids. Uh, may they be teachable and humble to the Lord's word. May they cry out to you. Teach them your statutes. Um, and then soon enough we're interceding for our family members, our missionaries, and our church members, and our pastors. It's a wonderful thing and a wonderful aid to do. Okay, so to conclude, uh, I hope that you were spurred on to run to the Father who loves and who wants to hear from you. That we would run to Him through your Son, through the power of the Spirit. He is, after all, our God who desires to hear from us. So what is prayer? It is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ. Why do we do it? To receive the spiritual blessings, to lay hold of Jesus Christ, who is our everything, and who ought to be our everything. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you that you have so opened up your door so that we might pray to you, so that we might run to you. We thank you, Lord, that you even call us to do these things, and for Christ who wants to make known your character, and for your word through which it is, in fact, revealed. Christ most gloriously, of course, the true divine revelation who is the true image of God. So Lord, we pray that we would fly to you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that our whole faith might contemplate your beloved Son and that we might really reach out to Christ knowing that in Him we have everything we need for life. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see all other things that we might want or struggle or, or in our sin want to put our faith in, whether it be relationships or these treasures or our own health, or cause us to see that our Lord Jesus Christ is everything we need. These things we pray in your name and for your great glory. Amen.